being in videos. This is so stupid. Like, why am I even here? Why did they ask me to do this? And I'm not even a good actor. And I could be doing a million other things. Ugh. Wait, what? We're rolling? Why didn't they tell me? Ugh. This is dumb. Well, thanks for being with us today, wherever you might be joining us from, whether you're at one of our Rochester area campuses, you're joining us uh, online, we are honored to have you here today with us. My name is Nate, I'm our Webster camp campus pastor, and honored to have a chance to, to uh, really wrap up this series that we have been in these last three weeks, where it's been called Triggered, and we've been talking about conflict, and we've been talking about conflict in relationships. We all experience it, we've all been there before, in week one we talked about how Really, conflict isn't our greatest uh, enemy. It's actually our response to conflict. That's our greatest enemy. That was week one. Last week, Drew, he talked to us about how anger is a big part of conflict and how anger can so easily and quickly find its way into the conflict that we experience. And today, what I want to do as we close this series is really talk about one of the most important things we can understand and know and live out in the context of our relationships. And that is, I want to talk all about forgiveness today. <clears throat> What is forgiveness? What, what isn't forgiveness? What does it look like? How do I practically live that out? And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. And as we started this series three weeks ago, we really kicked it off with a verse in Ephesians 4 that really has kind of been like the theme verse for this series. It's Ephesians 4 verse 3 that says this, <clears throat> make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us, he's urging us to strive for unity, to work hard at that, to, to work hard to, to maintain peace in our relationships. And so if we're truly going to be able to live this, this verse out, then the one thing we have to be willing to do is we have to be willing to forgive. Because here's the thing about relationships, <clears throat> is that relationships, they're, they're made up of imperfect people. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. And when you put imperfect people together in a relationship, what happens? People hurt each other. Um, it's difficult. We sin against one another. Challenges arise, and it could be really big hurt and pain. It could be really small. It could be something that's done intentionally to you, or it could be something that is done unintentionally. But one way or another, we will experience conflict. People will, will hurt us. And so if we're going to have peace in any relationship, we have to understand what forgiveness means. We have to learn how to forgive. But yet, here's what I've discovered about forgiveness is that forgiving someone is extremely difficult. It can be incredibly difficult. And the reason it's so difficult is that it goes against our natural desire. See, our natural reaction, our natural desire is not to forgive. It's not to lean towards unity. It's not to lean towards peace. No, our natural desire and reaction is to hurt someone right back. I love the way Paul Tripp, he says it this way, that sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Sinful people, that means all of us, every single one of us, we tend to respond sinfully when someone sins against us. So again, that's our natural reaction, right? Hurt people, hurt people is another way you could say it. When someone hurts me, man, I want to even the score. I want to, I want to get back at that person. A, a perfect example of this happened earlier this year. I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball, and my team is the New York Yankees. I love the New York Yankees. 
And uh, earlier this year, they were playing the Boston Red Sox. And so anytime the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing one another, it's always a big deal. It's one of the greatest rivalries in sports. And so uh, they were playing one another. And early in the game, the Yankees were up to bat, and they had a base runner on. His name was Tyler Austin. He was at first base, and a ball was hit in play. And Tyler Austin began to make his way to second base. Well, as he was getting to second base, he did what any good ball player does is you slide hard into second base trying to break up the double play. So as Tyler Austin slid into second base, the bottom of his shoe, his cleat caught the leg of the Boston Red Sox infielder Brock Holt and like, you know, his cleats hit the side of his leg. And so there was this like, you know, collision at the bag and then immediately Brock Holt, the Boston Red Sox infielder, he stands up and he like leans in kind of at Tyler Austin like, dude, I didn't appreciate your slide. Man, that, that was dirty. Like, what are you doing? And Tyler Austin, the Yankee base runner, was like, oh, dude, I, I, was just, I wasn't trying to hurt you. I wasn't trying to go after you. And so Tyler Austin, he was out. So he goes back into the Yankee dugout. And you would think, okay, situation resolved. We're good. On with the game, right? Wrong. Two innings later, Tyler Austin, he's back up to bat, steps into the batter's box. And what does the Boston Red Sox pitcher Joe Kelly do? He throws a 98-mile-an-hour fastball right into Tyler Austin's back. Why did he do that? To tell him and to let him know, hey, I didn't appreciate you going after my guy. So I'm even in the score. I'm getting back at you. I want to hurt you. That is not okay what you did. So what does Tyler Austin do after getting pegged in the back with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball? He takes his bat, slams it on the ground, actually breaks his bat, and then charges the mound and all mayhem ensues. The Yankee dugout unloads. The Red Sox dugout unloads. And here you have, I don't know, 50, 30 guys, however many guys, just in this huge brawl right on the field, right? A picture, an ugly picture of our natural tendencies when someone hurts us, right? And that was on display for millions of people to see, right? Simple people tending to respond simply when sinned against. And look, here's the deal. Acting that way, behaving that way, it's not just true with ball players, right? That's true with me. That is true with you. When someone hurts us, it's our natural desire. We want to get back. We want to even the score. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with that approach is that when we refuse to forgive, when we harbor bitterness, unforgiveness, what ends up happening is that we really actually don't end up doing that much harm to the other person. But what we do end up doing is we end up harming ourselves. We harm ourselves emotionally. We harm ourselves spiritually because forgiving will cost you something. It will, but refusing to forgive will cost you more. Anyone who tries to tell you forgiveness is easy, it's a piece of cake, it's not going to cost you anything, no big deal, it's just not true. And that person probably just hasn't had much to forgive. Forgiving will cost you something. It's going to cost you emotions. It's going to cost you getting back at that person. It's going to cost you evening the score. It will cost you something. But the only thing that will cost you more than forgiving is not forgiving. Refusing to forgive will cost you more because when you refuse to forgive, you pay the price. You pay the price in your relationships. You pay the price in your heart. Um, I love this well-known quote on unforgiveness and bitterness. Perhaps some of you, you've heard this before, but I think it's really good. It's from Malachi McCourt. He says it this way, that unforgiveness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness affects you more than anyone else. So let's talk about forgiveness. And I think as we do, it'd be helpful for us 
to define forgiveness. What do we mean by forgiveness? What do I mean by forgiveness? How, how should we define it? And here's how I'd like to define it today. That forgiveness is canceling a debt. <clears throat> That's what it means to forgive. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. And you might say, okay, well, how do you come up with that definition? This definition, it's not from me. I didn't create this definition. This definition actually comes right from from the Bible. Let me show you a few examples of where we get this definition. One is in Matthew 6. It's when Jesus, he's, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's a well-known prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And one of the topics, one of the things he talks about or the sections in that prayer is, it's about forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 12, it says this, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, when Jesus said this, he's not talking about financial debt here. <clears throat> he's talking about sin. He's talking about um, our sin against God. He's talking about the sin of others, other people, and what they commit against us. And sin and debt, that is a very common metaphor that is used throughout the pages of the Bible. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, we have another example. Now, Peter, he's having this discussion with Jesus, and it says this in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, um, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. What I love about this is I'm, I'm pretty sure Peter was convinced he was being very gracious, very generous, very forgiving, right? How many times, Jesus, up, up to seven times should I forgive someone? But in his response, Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, Peter, actually 77 times, meaning every single time. And then Jesus, he tells this well-known parable. It's a, it's a story, a, a parable that revolves around financial debt uh, in fact, at the end of this, one of the characters, we see this verse. Um, this is what he says, Matthew 18, verse 32. He says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. So that's where we find our definition of forgiveness. Um, it's canceling a debt. That is what it means to forgive. So that's how the Bible defines forgiveness. But yet, here's what I find interesting is I, I think most people don't work off of this definition practically in their, in their everyday life, in their everyday relationships. Most people don't view forgiveness as canceling a debt. I think most people view forgiveness like an IOU. We think of forgiveness like an IOU. What, what's an IOU? Well, an IOU is just an informal way of tracking debt, an informal way of recording debt. So, for example, say you go to the movie theater with a friend of yours, and you're at the ticket booth, and you're there to purchase your ticket, and in that moment you realize, oh, I left my wallet in the car, or you forgot your, you forgot your wallet. Well, in that moment, your friend just comes over and is like, hey, don't worry about it. I got you this time. I'll pay for your ticket. And, you know, you owe me next time we go out. And then, then you know, you can make that right. Or you can make up that debt. You can buy my, my movie ticket. And I think a lot of us, we think about forgiveness that way. Right? Someone hurts us and we're like, oh, okay, it's all, we're all good. But we record that debt in our mind and we carry it around in our hearts and in our minds until the next time we need something from that person. Right? Then they, they owe us something. And oftentimes we, we harbor this unforgiveness in our, in our hearts and this bitterness which can lead to resentment and we hold on to it. And the moment someone hurts us, we pull out the IOU right? and we use it against that person. And I think for many of us, we can carry around these IOUs in our hearts. Right? These people, they, they took something or that person, they took something from you and they owe you something. Maybe for some of you it was you grew up in a home where, where your dad walked out on you, your siblings, and your mom at a very early age, and your dad robbed you 
of those memories and moments growing up in a home and having a dad and making memories with dad. He robbed you of the stability that comes from having a mom and a dad. And so mentally, you have this IOU in your mind and in your heart with his name on it. And you want him to pay so badly for the pain that he's created in your life. Or maybe it's the other man. Maybe it's the other woman. You know, the one who destroyed your marriage. Right? They, they owe you. They took your spouse from you. And you want them to pay so badly for what they've done to you. Maybe it's the person who took away your job. Maybe it's a person who took away your dignity. Maybe it's a person who took away that friendship or that relationship. And you mentally are holding this IOU against them. You see, bitterness says, you owe me. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anymore. Forgiveness says, you owe me. Sorry, bitterness says, you owe me. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anymore. Bitterness says, you should have been there. You should have tried harder. You should have done more. You should have cared more. You should have loved me more because you owe that to me. Forgiveness says, you know what? I'm not even going to try to collect on that debt. Forgiveness says, you know what? I'm not going to try to settle that score. I'm going to cancel that debt. You no longer owe me anything. That's what forgiveness is. So if that's the definition of forgiveness, and that's, that's what it looks like to forgive, what I want to try to help us understand more is, okay, so practically in everyday life, in our everyday relationships, how do we really live this out? And to do that, I want to jump right back into where we've been at in this entire ser- series, and that's in Ephesians 4. So turn with me in your Bible to so Ephesians 4. Um, if you're using one of our Bibles at one of our campuses, you can find that on page 949. But turn to Ephesians 4. And as we've talked about, the reason this book is called Ephesians is because Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, he's writing a letter to Christians that live in the city of Ephesus. And it's really interesting, right at the beginning of of Ephesians 4, right in verse 1, we get some information that, that I think is really helpful for us to understand, especially as we think about forgiveness. Look at what it says. Paul writes this in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is really important because Paul writes this from prison. Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And here's why this is significant as we think about forgiveness, is that Paul knows what it's like to be hurt. Paul knows what it it takes to forgive someone. And what he's saying here is that if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, so God called out to you, he found you, he rescued you, he made you his own. So now the question is, how do we live a life worthy of that calling. And here at the end of chapter four, he begins to unpack and talk about these issues of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. And look at what he says. We'll pick it up in verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their own needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think it's really interesting here that Paul talks about the words that we use. And I think that's, it's important and it's intentional because if you, if you think about or you listen to the words that people speak, the words that come out of their mouths, that's a really good indicator of what is going on in their heart. And if people are using their words to hurt other people, using their words like weapons to tear people down, to harm people, that's a good indicator that there's part, whether they know it or not, within their heart, they're dealing with unforgiveness. They're dealing with resentment and bitterness. And when we live that way, 
Not only are we harming the people around us, but we're also damaging our, ourselves. We're damaging our heart. And as we're going to see, we actually damage our relationship with God. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Meaning when we act that way, when we behave that way, when we use our words. And Paul, Paul actually raises the bar here for followers of Christ in terms of the language and the words that we should be using. He actually says, no unwholesome talk. Like, that's a pretty high bar for us. No unwholesome talk, meaning we should always be seeking to build others up. Again, we're striving for unity. We're striving for peace. So the words that we should be using should be uplifting. But we can grieve the heart of God. And then look at verse, verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. We talked about this verse a little bit last week. So Paul here, he tells us, get rid of it. Get rid of all those things, the anger, the, the brawling, and the slander. And I, I realize that some people might read that, and you might think, like, that just sounds way too simple. Like, Paul just says, get rid of it? Like, really? And I would imagine for some of you, especially those of you that have been hurt deeply, you might read that and go, that seems really insensitive. Like, Paul, obviously you don't understand what she has done to me. Paul, you don't understand what he has done to me. You do not understand what I have been through. And you just tell me, just get rid of it? Just, just get rid of it? That's the answer? You don't understand what I've been through. But I think Paul gives us some help here. He, he, he begins to answer even some of those questions in verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And here it is, forgiving each other. So what Paul is saying here is that the way you deal with that bitterness, the anger, rage, slander, all of that, it's by forgiving each other. It's by canceling that debt. That is the only way. It is the only solution to all that junk, to all that stuff that messes us up inside that we have to forgive. We have to be willing to cancel that debt. So for a commander to forgive, We've talked about the definition of forgiveness. I think it'd be helpful for us to, to try to talk through some of the things forgiveness is not. Because I think so often we get tripped up in our definition and we, we begin living out or thinking of forgiveness in terms of a definition that really aren't helpful to us. So if we can begin to understand what forgiveness is not, it's going to help us pursue what we ought to uh, when it comes to forgiveness. So the first thing forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. When God calls us to forgive, he is not commanding us to feel a certain way. He's commanding us to do something. I've heard it said um, this way, that forgiveness is a servant of the will, not a prisoner of the emotions. Forgiveness doesn't require you to start feeling a certain way. It's just simply a choice that we make. It's a, it's a decision, a choice we make to cancel that debt. So if forgiveness, if it's not a feeling and it's a choice, well, what exactly am I choosing to do then practically? What does that look like? And I found three commitments or three promises of forgiveness that have been really helpful to me. They've been helpful uh, to other people as well that I wanted to share with you to help, again, just bring to light. If I'm choosing to forgive, what does that look like? It's these three commitments. The first one is this. I, I'm going to choose to not bring this matter up to you. I'm not going to beat you over the head with this anymore. I'm not going to leverage this over you to make you feel shame or, or to try to manipulate you. So I'm not going to bring this matter up to you. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't talk about this with that person in the future. 
But when it comes up, it's always in a constructive way, a healthy way, um, a redemptive way. But you are making a commitment to say, I'm not going to bring this up to you. I'm not going to use this against you uh, to damage that person. The second commitment you're making is, I won't bring this matter up, up to others. I'm going to choose to not bring this up to other people. I'm not going to talk behind your back. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to slander about you. Again, doesn't mean you can't talk about this with a trusted friend or someone within your community group or a counselor. But again, it's in a positive way, a constructive way, a redemptive way. But you are committing to say, I'm not going to talk about this behind your back to other people. The third commitment you're making when you choose to forgive is you're making this commitment that I'm not going to dwell on this myself. I am not going to dwell on this in my mind. And I think this is the hardest one for us, right? Because it's one thing to say, I won't talk about this to you or to other people. It's another thing to say, I'm not going to dwell on this in my, in my mind. Because especially if someone has hurt you deeply, that might be something you carry with you the rest of your life, meaning that, that moment, that, that image, the event, you might carry it with you. And what I'm saying is I'm not saying you won't think about it. I'm saying you won't dwell on it. And there's a difference there. Because dwelling is like I'm turning it over and you're allowing your mind to stew and lead you to places that are unhelpful. So what I'm trying to help us understand is by, by not dwelling on it, it's saying when that thought comes, I'm going to acknowledge it, but then I'm going to redirect. I'm going to be in control of my thoughts and my mind to pursue things that are going to be helpful to me. Um, I think, think about it this way. So as a kid, as a boy, I was a very active boy and I was always out getting bumps scrapes and bruises. And I remember one time scraping my knee pretty bad. And I remember coming inside and my mom, she, she brought me inside, took me to the kitchen, put me on the chair. And uh, she looked at the wound and, you know, she, she got a damp towel, cleaned it all out, put some Neosporin on my knee and then put a Band-Aid on it. And then she told me, now listen, Nate, um, you can't pick at that wound. You can't pull the Band-Aid off. You can't scratch at it. You can't pick at the scab because if you do that, that wound is never going to heal. And I think what is, what is true for a physical injury, the same is true for an emotional injury or a relational injury. That if you choose to dwell on it, pick at it in your mind, that relationship isn't going to heal. That wound isn't going to heal. So we have to make these, this, this conscious choice to forgive people. It's not, it's not a feeling. It is a choice that we make. And that commitment, that choice, it's these three things here. Um, okay, another thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And uh, I think this is the one that trips people up the most. In fact, if you were to go uh, out today on the streets and you were to, to survey or to poll 10 different people, I would imagine the majority of people are going to give you this definition. Oh, forgive, forgive and forget, right? Forgiveness is forgetting. But the problem with that is, is I think oftentimes we, we think we haven't forgiven someone because we haven't forgotten what they've done to us. So we think like, wow, I must not have really forgiven them because I still remember and I, I, I haven't been able to forget what they've done. But here's the reality. You can't force yourself to forget something. You can't because forgetting is a, it's a passive activity. It's not an active thing that you do. I, I can't just decide to forget something, especially if it's a really deep hurt in your life. You might remember that hurt for the rest of your life. And here's the deal is when, when we choose to do those three things we just talked about, when you choose to forgive, what does begin to happen over time, even though you may not forget the event, what begins to happen is over time, that deep emotional pain and hurt, it does begin to lessen over time. Those things do, those strong emotions, those feelings begin to subside over time when we choose to forgive in the way in which we've talked. But forgiveness, it's not forgetting. 
Another thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not earned. It's not earned. Forgiveness, in its truest sense, uh, it doesn't mean waiting around for the, for the other person to apologize or waiting for the other person to change or for them to make the first move. In fact, we see this from Jesus, a beautiful example. Uh, remember what he said when he was being nailed to the cross. One of the statements he made was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So we see Jesus, he, he forgave people who didn't even ask for forgiveness or even know that they needed it. So true forgiveness, it's given to people as a gift. It's not something that is earned. Um, another thing forgiveness is not, it's not blind trust. This is a big one. Forgiveness is not blind trust. There's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness, that's given freely. Trust, it is always something that is either earned or it is lost. Forgiveness doesn't mean you just ignore a clear track record of behavior. It doesn't mean, you know, if someone has a habit of breaking promises and they've just broken another one to you, right? You forgive them, right? We're commanded to do that, but it doesn't mean that the next time you actually have to take them at their word or believe the promise that they've made. So when there's an established pattern, you recognize that. You understand that. In a healthy way, again, you're not trying to beat the person over the, over the head with it, not talking about it to others in a harmful way, but you recognize that pattern. Now, it is important, though, to understand that forgiveness is always the first step towards trust being rebuilt. That's always the first step. It's always the first door that you have to walk through. It is the first step towards trust being rebuilt, but forgiveness, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean blind trust. Another one, forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily erase all of the consequences. There's a lot of times where we forgive the offense, but the consequences for one reason or another, they, they need to remain in place. Think of it this way. Say you have a teenage son, and he comes to you one day, and he's like, Dad, I was driving home from work, and I blew it. I wasn't paying attention. It's totally my fault, and uh, I, I got a speeding ticket on my way home from work. And Dad, I'm sorry. It's totally my fault. Will you forgive me? And as a dad, you say, of course, son, yes, I forgive you. And your son says, all right, awesome, sweet, and he hands you the ticket, and then he, he walks away, right? Like, whoa, time out, hold on, come back over here, son, we got to have another talk. No, I forgive you, but you need to find a way to pay this ticket, right? There's a consequence for that choice. There's a consequence for sin, and there's sometimes where we have to love people enough to allow them to feel the consequences of their choices and their sin. So forgiveness, it's not always excusing. Uh, it doesn't erase the need for people to experience consequences for their actions. And then lastly, forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness is not easy, especially if you have been hurt deeply. I understand how difficult and challenging uh, this is. And if you have been hurt deeply, it will be impossible for you uh, to forgive someone in your own strength. It will be impossible for you to forgive in the way in which we've talked about this morning. And that is why we have to constantly ask God for his help, for his help to help us forgive. Remember, because forgiveness is not something we do naturally, right? We don't lean towards forgiveness. Our hearts don't naturally lean towards unity, towards peace. So we need God's help to respond rightly. And in our last few moments together, what I want to try to do is help us understand really the only way that we're able to forgive like this, we actually see it in the rest of verse 32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I would encourage you to circle, to underline, to highlight those two words, just as. 
Those two words are incredibly important for us to understand and not miss. We're called to forgive just as we have been forgiven. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, people who have come to know and understand and experience the gospel, we have to be, we ought to be the most forgiving people on the planet. Because here's what we've come to know, right? We've come to know that the Bible tells us that every single one of us, all of us, we have a huge, massive IOU against a perfect and a holy God, and we are unable to pay back this IOU in and of ourselves. It's because of our sin that has separated us from God, so ultimately our sin is an offense against the holy God. Our sin, it's an offense against the creator of the universe, and there are consequences for that sin. Eternal separation from God. But here's the amazing story of the gospel. The amazing truth is that even though we owed a huge debt, Jesus came into this world, he went to a cross, and he paid that debt that we could have never paid on our own. So the cross is this place. It's a reminder to us that our debt is forgiven. Jesus came to tear up every single IOU we've ever created or ever will create. And let me just pause for a moment and talk talk to those of you who are followers of Christ. You've made a decision to follow Christ. You would call yourself a Christian. And if you're, you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm having a hard time forgiving someone, I want to try to help you understand why, why that might be. If you're having a hard time forgiving someone, it's probably because you've lost sight of or you never have really fully understood what it cost God's son to forgive you. If you're harboring anger towards someone, if you're having a hard time forgiving, it's probably because you are only focusing on what was done to you instead of choosing to focus on and to remember what was done for you through Christ's death on the cross. Because when you begin to focus on that and remember what has been done for you, man, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that resentment, it just begins to, to lessen, that load less, it, it lightens up, it, it rolls off your back because we're able to truly understand and embrace the forgiveness that we've experienced through knowing Christ. So every time you're hurt, every time you're struggling to forgive someone, here's what you need to do. You need to find a way to get your eyes on the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ and you remind yourself that when you didn't deserve grace, when you didn't deserve mercy, when you didn't deserve forgiveness, God gave it to you freely. We forgive others because just as in Christ, God forgave us. So I want to I end just with a, uh, a real life story, an example of what this kind of forgiveness, this kind of biblical forgiveness looks like. And it's a story I'm sure many of us are familiar with. In fact, when you hear the name Larry Nassar, I'm sure many of you have heard that name and you know the monster that, that he is and kind of what is going on around him. And Years ago, Rachel Den Hollander, she was a, a young teenage gymnast under the care of Larry Nassar. And Larry Nassar, he was Team USA's um, gymnastics doctor, and he's probably the most public, most, most prolific sexual abuser in American history. And so several years ago, Rachel, she filed a police report that has ultimately led to him being locked away in prison for a very, very long time. And not long ago in Lansing, Michigan, in a courtroom there, 156 of his victims They came forward and they spoke to Larry Nassar. They gave statements to him. And Rachel, she was one of these young women. And when she came to the podium, when she came to the microphone, the tone of her words, the meaning, and uh, what she was hoping for him to really understand was, was very different than all of the other testimonies and statements before her. Instead of a message of condemnation, instead of 
words that really just are trying to lay hurt on him. And he hurt her in like the deepest way possible. Instead, her message was a message of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Listen to these words that Rachel spoke to him. She said, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. The Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. What an amazing response. An incredible response that was made made possible by by Rachel understanding her ultimate forgiveness that comes from God, that that relationship has been made right. And because she understood how much she has been forgiven, she's able to then extend this kind of forgiveness to a man that hurt her in a very, very deep way. What a powerful example of forgiveness. And so I think the question for all of us is, how are we doing? How are we doing at, at, at extending and living out this kind of forgiveness? Maybe even as I've been speaking this morning, there's been a name or two or three that's popped into your mind where, man, you're holding something against them. They they owe you something. You want them to pay for what they've done. Well, are you willing to live out this kind of forgiveness where you say, okay, I'm gonna gonna forgive this person. I'm gonna cancel that debt. I'm not gonna try to collect on that debt anymore. I'm gonna let that go and I'm gonna trust God. How are you doing at forgiving others? It's hard, it's challenging. But forgiveness, we have to understand, it will cost us something. But when we refuse to give, it will cost it will cost you more. Will we forgive others just as in Christ God forgave us? And our hope in this series as we wind down is that, man, as you think about relationships and you think about the conflict that's coming later today, tomorrow, later this week, we hope that this series has provided some, some tangible, practical ways in which to navigate through the real life, the real stuff that we all encounter on a regular basis so that we can pursue peace, so that we can pursue unity as followers of Jesus. Let me pray. God, I I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the wisdom of your word. Man, life can be hard and it can be challenging, especially when when it comes to relationships of knowing how to to deal with the hurt and the pain. God, I pray that um, in all of our hearts and in all of our lives, we would seek to go to your word that does provide hope and it provides answers. It provides a better way for walking through the difficulties of life. God, we celebrate and are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness of sin that we can know and experience through faith and what he did for us on the cross. And so God, we celebrate that truth today. God, we declare each and every moment of each and every day that we need you, God. We need you every moment of every day. God, would you help us to live lives fully devoted to you? In Jesus' name, amen.